Welcome back, folks. I'm going to jump in to introducing Corinne Winters, today's guest, to you in just a moment. But first, a few fun announcements. So last week, we hosted our first live discussion for the Soul Driven Collective with Ashley Stinson of Energy Archaeology. She came and hung out with us shared a little bit about her background, answered questions, talked about the body as an oracle, and then drew some cards from her new energy archeology span oracle deck and just kind of blew us all away. It was a really fun evening. And I'm so excited to start hosting more of these events. So if you are interested in spirituality in any capacity, and want to learn more about different types of spirituality or different places on the path, whatever the case may be, make sure you check out the Soul Driven Collective. There's a link in the bio. And we have a founding member special for the next 60 days. So you can still take advantage of that and then be locked in to that monthly price for good. Um, But I did want to announce May's events. So our next guest is Judith Corvin Blackburn, and she will be with us on May 19th, 8 p.m. And she's going to be talking about activating your 5D frequency. So she'll be walking us through an activation, um, doing a meditation, just kind of talking about the difference between living in 3D and 5D among a number of other things. And of course, these events are open discussion. So it's come, participate, ask questions. If you want it just to be kind of a teaching experience, that's cool. If you actually wanna get engaged, that's awesome as well. The second event is May 26th, 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time as well. And that is the live Akashic Record monthly lesson with me. And so this will be for June. June. What? Yep, June. (laughs) Um, So you'll come and join me live. I'll be doing the reading and then we'll talk about integration. We'll pull some cards. We'll hang out and be nerdy about whatever regarding spirituality. Um, There are so many different ways in which we can go with it. And so come hang out. It's just a fun sort of gathering time and also bringing the Akashic lessons, the monthly lessons to life. So... Finally, on that end, um, there will be an extra episode this month, and I'd love to get your opinion. I'm either thinking about covering a hot topic right now and probably upsetting some folks (laughs) with my opinions um, and or sharing a live Akashic Record reading with someone else so that you have the opportunity to kind of see what it's like to have an Akashic Record reading or what happens, what the flow is, those sorts of things. So hit me up on social media, send me an email, whatever way resonates with you best, and let me know. All right, so Corinne Winters. I am really pumped for this discussion. The way that Corinne looks at human design, which is something that I have been studying since 2019, is very unique. She brings creativity to the forefront. And, and because I am a creative being in and like in all ways, I just super re- like resonate with her work. Um, she's a fascinating, fascinating individual. And so uh, wanted to let you know up front that she has agreed to come back for a discussion with us and just fully geek out on human design. I will be letting you know when that episode is going to be coming that way you can submit any questions that you have and we can cover that but without further ado this is her bio so Corinne is an internationally acclaimed opera singer voice teacher writer and creative living mentor for the past decade she has sung leading roles in prestigious venues such as the kennedy center the filene center at wolf trap the royal opera house covent garden and numerous others around the world Corinne has been featured in the New York Times, Washington Post, and The Guardian, as well as appearing on the cover of the UK's opera magazine. In addition to her work as a performing artist, 
artist. Corinne is the founder of Serve Your Muse, a membership community where creatives learn how to embrace their uniqueness and decondition from who they've been told to be. She combines human design, psychology, creative practices, and everyday tools into a modality she calls creative living, embodying creativity as a way of life. Through her private sessions and group workshops, Corinne helps people navigate fear and doubt to reclaim the fullness of who they are, not who they're striving to be, not who society says they should be, but who they are right now. And without further ado, enjoy meeting Corinne. Welcome to the Soul Driven Podcast. I believe that when we invest in ourselves, the world benefits. If you are searching for meaning and purpose, if you are unsure about how to combine the spiritual with the everyday, if you are ready to uncover who you truly are, then you've come to the right place. The Soul Driven Podcast is dedicated to exploring the intersection of living a soulful and spiritual life in a driven and ambitious world. Join me for practical guidance, truthful discussions, and interviews with people who are successfully living a soul-driven life. My name is Anna Hendricks, spiritual guide, marketer, and your host. Thank you for being here. Welcome back, folks, and thank you for joining us for another soul-driven interview. Today, I'm excited to introduce you to Corinne Winters, an internationally acclaimed opera singer, voice teacher, writer, and creating creative living mentor. <laughs> Welcome to the show, Corinne. Thank you for sharing your time with us and for being here today. Thank you for having me, Anna. <laughs> and thank you for like all of your patience before we started recording. We have been dealing with a lot of technical difficulties and she's been so kind and patient. <laughs> no worries. After the year we've had small potatoes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's 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 just wild when things won't work, right? <laughs> oh, yeah, totally. <laughs> um so Corinne, I found her on Instagram. Gosh. Last Fall, I believe last fall, later part of last year. I'm not exactly sure, um, but if you're a regular listener of the Soul Driven Podcast, you know I'm a huge fan of human design and practice it. I would say from a high level perspective with my clients, um, Corinne not only works with human design, but she really just combines it with the art of living cre creatively. And I have so been enjoying her posts on Instagram. We'll, of course, have all of her links in the show notes, but make sure you follow her on Instagram because she's awesome. <laughs> um, but I was like, I have to have her on the show. And just a little FYI that she has agreed to return for a discussion in the future so that we can actually dive even deeper on human design and really geek out. Um, but because she has such a wide and varied background, I really wanted to get to know her, to understand more about her journey, and we'll definitely talk about human design because we found out that we're both manifesting generators um, with uh, what one one third profiles here, mm -hmm. one three profiles. So we have a lot in common. <laughs> um, <laughs> okay, so without further ado, um, Corinne. And I am saying your name correctly, right? Yep, Corinne. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> I always freak out about that. I guess it's, you know, uh, old habit. Um, what makes you soul-driven? When you sent me this question, I was thinking about it because soul-driven is so evocative in the sense that you aren't just in touch with your soul, but you let it be your compass through life. And for me, in my work, I always equate the soul with the muse. So um, my company is called Serve Your Muse. Um, we can maybe get into that later, why that um, phrase is important to me. But for me, the muse is that part of your soul that creates from that spontaneous place, that person you were as a child before you were conditioned to be something you weren't, or when you were told you were too much or not enough. 
um, certain aspects of your personality were off-putting, things like that. And actually getting back to the very things that you thought were flaws and letting them be part of your expression in the world. To me, that's being soul-driven and not just saying, okay, I'm going to highlight these parts of me that I think are acceptable and then present that to people, but actually more of that messy human integrated part of us that, that we let lead us. I love that. And I do love your business name, Serve Your Muse. And I love that you correlate it too with childhood because, you know, I've had quite a few people on the show and I think it's pretty much, you know, it's talked about a lot, just who we were as children and that inspired being, you know, as a child, I feel like we're forever trying to get back to those places because that's where we are, you know, our most authentic selves, right? Before all the pain, before all the conditioning, before all the, oh no, you can't be a princess, you know, you can't be a unicorn. <laughs> totally. <laughs> um, but what a beautiful life if we would have been told like, yeah, girl, you can be a unicorn or you could be a princess, you know? Um, so I love that so much. And I do think that that return is a return to our soul because I don't think we're ever as in touch with our soul as we are when we're children, you know? Absolutely. Not only because just from a brain perspective, the brain until age seven is so malleable. It's like a sponge. And so we are by nature creative because we're living in this more of this alpha brain state. That's more like, um, you know, the brain state that you're in in meditation or when you're just really still and your mind is quiet. As children, we're living in that brain state constantly, which is why we're so open to suggestion. Um, we were talking about hypnosis before we got on. It's that idea that children are in this constant state of hypnosis, but it's also what makes them so creative and so um, engaged with the world around them. And I also think it's not just these traits of inside of us that need to come through, but it's the traumas that happen to us, and, and I use trauma broadly in the sense that it doesn't have to be a huge trauma that we would think of as far as abuse or neglect or anything like that, but even these micro traumas that happen to us, they don't have to actually take away from our light or from what we have to offer, but they can be the road to it. So that's also kind of been a big part of my journey personally, but what I try to do with people um, because I found that the things that I thought were going to hold me back are the things that actually gave me the grit and the backbone and the grounding and the wisdom to become who I was supposed to become. Yeah. I was, I was actually on a clubhouse um, in a clubhouse discussion yesterday and we were, we're touching on which um, a subject, which I feel like, you know, is, is what you're saying just in regards to like the, the light and the dark being just as equally important, you know, and that our light isn't, can't be as strong without the dark, you know, and the things that we do go through in our life. I mean, I'm better for everything difficult I've been through in my life for sure. Mm -hmm. I, I'd probably be a little emotional brat. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Definitely have a big ego um, if I hadn't been humbled through life. And, uh, but yeah, I, I fully agree with that in, in every way. Um, and it's, it really goes back to, I think, to the, just the laws of the universe. You know, there is no light without dark. There is no darkness without light. We can't know love until we know the lack of love. You know, we can't know mm. what we like until we, know what we don't like you know they're equal parts they're just as powerful on both sides um and it's certainly something I feel like that's been coming up a lot the past couple of months just this understanding that every time I'm going to make a move forward and um or do something creative in my life that there is this other force you know that comes in to push back on it as well um and I know creativity is like, it's your jam. So do you know what I'm talking about? Oh yeah, absolutely. I, um, so it's my personality sun gate, which we'll get into when we talk more about human design um, in Gene Keys, which I like to use some of that terminology. It's called life's work um, for me is about pattern recognition and being able to see how things will play out based on um, certain patterns that you see. And so for me, 
everything in my life is a microcosm of saying the same thing. So for example, um, like in singing technique, when I'm teaching my students, one of the things I say to them is that, you know, you need to kind of narrow the way that you're singing so that you can then open up when you sing a high note. It's almost like crouching on a diving board and then, you know, you, the diver always crouches before they then jump in. It's the exact same in life in the sense that there's always that contraction before an expansion. There's always that um, moment of, um, I actually had a workshop on imposter syndrome that I did on Sunday. It was beautiful, beautiful group of people um, that I led. But I was telling them that there's this gap sometimes between when we're up leveling between where we are and how other people view us and kind of bridging that gap. And that's that gnarly kind of constriction before the expansion. And I think we can see that in so many different areas of our lives, but that constriction doesn't have to be so heavy. We can almost like have a bit of humor around it and be like, this is just the journey before we have the expansion and that's okay. Yeah, Elizabeth Gilbert has talked about that quite a bit um, when she talks about creativity, just in regards to, you know, Elizabeth Gilbert, for those who don't know, I'm sure you know, eat, love, pray. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I love, I love, I always enjoy hearing her talk about creativity, but she's, that's something she's always kind of throwing down is that every time she's coming out with something, this other energy is coming in and how yeah. she has made friends with it and welcomes it. And it's just kind of like, Hey, how long are you going to be hanging out this time? <laughs> what are you going to try and throw into the middle of my tracks? Okay. <laughs> um, makes a joke of it, a game of it. So it's not like, you know, this big heaviness that's a negative thing that, that throws her all off whack, you know, that gets her emotionally taken out, you know, to the place where she has to recover. She's just like, welcomes it in and says, you do your thing. And I'm going to watch you and laugh at you. And then, then we're going to move forward. <laughs> yeah, that's beautiful. She's so wise. I love that woman. Yes, she is amazing. Um, so just to lay a little bit of groundwork, uh, I typically love to jump right into people's backgrounds, but I thought that first we would just start and um, clarify what human design is for folks because I'm sure it's going to be popping in and out through this conversation yeah. um, so that they have a little bit of base ground so could you share with us what human design is sure I actually work with a lot of people who aren't really in the spiritual or self-development space um, so I I have kind of several definitions one that's a little more in that world and one that's a little more in like layman's world who someone who just wants to be in touch more with who they are. So I'm going to start with the more basic one, which is basically um, that human design is a practical system for knowing ourselves. So when I say practical, it's that it's, it's not just a typology. So there are a lot of great typologies out there like um, the Myers-Briggs and Enneagram and um, even like some other personality typing things, astrology, which obviously goes much deeper than typology, but we sort of have, okay, this is my sun sign, this is my moon sign. Um, and while there can be certain directives in those typologies, they're not as rooted in action-based um, in action-based directives. So in human design, it's not only understanding how your mental, emotional, psychological, and physical landscape are designed to operate uniquely, but it's how you can actually um, craft your life, craft your decision-making around this way that you're hardwired. So it the thing that attracted me to human design is that it's such a holistic system because it, it actually takes into account every aspect of the human. So um, its prime, I would say, focus is the energetic plane, mainly because um, things are more obvious to us on the sort of tangible plane, but energetically, and energetic doesn't have to be woo-woo. It can also mean like just the nonverbal presence you give off around people. So that's what I try to explain to my clients that are a little more skeptical, which I totally respect because I have a lot of logic in my design and I am not just a um, sort of like love and light in the clouds kind of person. I'm very grounded and uh, respect both sides because again, the dark and the light, like the rooted and grounded earthly skeptical side and then the sort of more ethereal side. And I think human design touches on both of those. So um, as far as the action-based piece, we learn the imprint basically that we give off when we walk into a space. 
Um, it's how we either draw things to us or project things out from us. It's the relationship we have between other people and how to make that more harmonious. And in general, how to live more in flow so that we're moving forward in a sort of, um, with more ease in life rather than hitting resistance and roadblocks. Awesome. Yeah. And I think too, you know, like with the energetic component, it's, it feels very scientific to me, you know, just the, the movement of energy in our body. That's usually kind of how I describe it. Cause I feel like that, at least for me at this point in time with where I'm at in my studies of human design, what brought me back because I, I I learned about human design in 2019 and dove in pretty hard as I do and <laughs> but then of course like saw the depth of it and backed off um, but the rest of that year I ended up diving into energy very intensely and doing like a lot of energy work and learning how to do like you know work with crystals um, and then the beginning of 2020 then I started you know reading in the Akashic Records and doing other energy work and just really came into the fullness of understanding energy and that's what like totally drew me back to human design mm. and just you know because everything is energy and having a system that helps us to explain how it actually works uniquely in each of our bodies is like it's so powerful <laughs> you know it's invaluable and there's nothing else I found like it because understanding our psyches it is important, but, and human design does cover some of that, but understanding the nonverbal plane is so um, invaluable because those are the things that are sort of more subversive in our personality and things that maybe we in the past haven't thought that we had much control over, you know, the vibes that we're giving off, things like that. Or even from a more practical standpoint, like, I'm doing all the right things, but I keep hitting roadblocks in my life, even though I'm doing what society says is like, you know, you do X, Y, Z in this order and then things should work out. And when they don't, we feel like there's something wrong with us. And the thing that really drew me to human design is like, no, if you're operating how you're uniquely hardwired to operate, then actually you're going to feel flow. It's not that we'll never have adversity, but within that adversity, there's going to be this feeling of like, I'm where I'm meant to be. I'm living the life I'm meant to be living. Yeah. Well, and even, you know, that flow is, is going to be easier, even with adversity. Um, and for folks looking for like a tangible example, (laughs) one of my favorite ones goes back to, um, my partner is a projector and I'm a manifesting generator. And one of the things, one of the like, oh, elements in our relationship is just that, he really likes to tell me what to do at any given point in time. <laughs> yeah. And Corinne's laughing because she knows where this is going probably. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and as soon as he would tell me what to do, like there was almost this immediate pushback towards him that was just like, no. And, you know, like I'm five years old again. And he's like, you know, this like father figure, whatever in my life. And when I realized that that dynamic that was playing out between us was the fact that like projectors really kind of need to ask, you know, if they can share or something like that before they just like throw out their wisdom. Um, In addition to the way that manifesting generators are just not open to those kinds of things all the time. It was like, Oh, because I thought multiple times, like, wow, why can't I, you know, he's sharing good stuff with me. Why can't I take this in Mm. um, better? And so I would beat myself up about it or think, you know, and he would also be like, what's wrong? I'm just trying to help, you know? Um, And so understanding just that small energetic dynamic was huge. So I just wanted to share that for folks who maybe don't have uh, much foundation with human design or also just really put it in tangible perspective how enormous these like like you said Corinne the the unspoken (laughs) you know the unspoken world really yes absolutely and until we have the knowledge to know how these things are playing out and why they are it's really hard to shift them because we think oh this is just how I am or this is part of us and maybe it is how you are but maybe it's coming from a place of misalignment rather than you know, from that truest part of you. So that's what we're always trying to discern is like, what is, 
you know, the truest part of me and what is the conditioned part of me, meaning the part that society told you was acceptable or that you had to be. Um, there's one really good example just to get into deeper into the topic of the energy types, because Anna was starting to talk about two of the five energy types. Um, society basically gives us this model of how we should be, which is a hybrid of two types, the manifester and the generator. So it's like, we should just go out and do it. We should be able to have an idea and just execute it, which is only about eight or 9% of the population that can do that successfully. So that's already setting most of us up for failure. But then we're expected to not only be the fire starter, but to carry out this thing that we, that we started, that we sparked to its completion. And that is only people that can complete things are only about 37% of the population. And even then it's, they're not the same people that are the fire starters. So basically society is telling us we have to be this bionic human that no one actually is. <laughs> and I, I find that frustrating, but also empowering when we learn about human design, because we learn actually we're meant to operate in community and we're meant to operate bouncing off each other and not existing in a vacuum, which I think COVID has also shown us, right? That we don't exist in a vacuum. Even if we are the strongest rugged individualist you could ever find, you are still reliant on other people as they are you and we exist in this ecosystem together. And um, I think that's so good to know because the fire starters and the builders can work together and create this masterpiece that they couldn't do on their own. Yeah. I, I, you know, the, one of the things that I so appreciate about all of these different, you know, modalities, systems, what did you call it? A typology? Um, is that it just really helps to give us a lot more compassion for ourselves and the people in our lives, which yes. is invaluable <laughs> and helps us help us, helps us love when, when maybe it's, it's tough. <laughs> Oh yeah. Yeah. I will say though, I think that's true when people actually take the information they learn, absorb it and apply it, um, as a manifesting generator, which again, we'll get into more of what that is. And also as an Aries, I'm somebody who's just like, okay, I need to take this and put it into action. If I'm not doing something with it, then I just feel like this information is going in one ear and out the other. Um, and I know sometimes in the past, like when I learned my Myers-Briggs, I was like, oh, that's interesting. But I never actually used it to understand myself better or to um, understand my partner better, things like that. And I know there are people who do with that system. Absolutely. But, you know, different things resonate with different people, just like different religions, um, different cities, you know, all these. There's a reason we have diversity in the world, because it resonates in different ways with different people. Um, but I love with human design that it's so, we almost feel this pull inside us when we learn this information to take it and apply it. It's so applicable and so grounded and um, easy to use in everyday life instead of just being this idea. Yeah, there is something that I feel is very actionable about, actionable about, about it in general. Um, so I think before we... <laughs> I'm like, really, we are going to get to your background. <laughs> That's okay. When um, it happens, but it maybe, happens. <laughs> oh, because you already touched on this a little bit before we jump in there, uh, maybe we should just go ahead and talk about the five types mm -hmm. and just briefly kind of explain what they are. Yep. Um, so as Anna mentioned, human design has many layers to it. So um, the energy types, though, is the most basic because it gives you what I call your flow strategy. So in traditional human design, it's just called strategy. But it really means like the way that you operate in the world is, is kind of um, if you're operating with this flow strategy, you're going to live more in flow than you will in resistance. So the way that your energy is designed to operate determines how you get into flow. So that's why it's kind of the first piece. The next piece would be the decision-making authority, which we may or may not cover, but I always love that human design actually helps you to be able to do such practical things like make decisions in a way that's unique and, you know, not have to hit roadblocks all the time. So, um, yeah, so that's kind of the basis of it. Um, so we'll start with the fire starters, the manifestors, because they are the kind of the ones that get the ball rolling. Like I sort of think of the five types as each building on the next. Um, so I would say the manifestor is like the 
one who lights the spark, who's the ideas and visions person, the one who um, can just create from a divine inspiration within them. So it's this idea that like someone who's a manifester would get an urge inside of them. And then based on that urge, it, as long as their mind and their conditioning doesn't get involved, they could then go make that thing happen in the world without needing any external stimuli or interaction. Um, they are the only type that are equipped to do this um, in that specific way. And as I think I mentioned before, they're only eight to 9% of the population. So it's a very small group of people. And I think if you think about it, it makes sense because if everyone was out there getting these urges and initiating 24 seven, then a lot of things wouldn't get completed because people would want to just keep initiating. So it makes sense that only a 10th or less of the people have this ability. Um, traditionally, these were the kings of society, the dictators, people like that. Um, but we are kind of moving out of that era. And actually the manifestors now aren't so much the leaders and dictators. They're becoming more of the innovators and more of the um, sort of figureheads behind, you know, innovation and the creators, the, the start of the creation. Um, some famous manifestors were Maya Angelou. Um, if you think about the way that she spoke and her words landed, the way that she started movements, uh, Gloria Steinem, the feminist, is another one. Um, on a sort of morbid note, but just to give you an idea, Hitler was also a manifester. So someone who just has that charisma and ability to rally people. Um, after manifestors, we have generators. So generators are the ones who I would say like American society is probably the most tailored to generators day to day. So if manifestors are meant to get things going, but then once they're going, they're meant to initiate something new again, generators take that and they actually build on it. So generators have the sustained energy to complete something through to the end, but they don't actually have the ability to start something from just an idea. So with generators, the way that um, they would sort of get in flow is by what human design language says is responding to life. So it sounds a little confusing for people who don't really understand what that means, but all it means is that whatever life throws at you, you're staying present enough to be able to respond to what feels good and what doesn't feel good. So because generators have this motor that's meant to sustain energy, it really needs to be involved in it doesn't have to be all, but most activities that feel good. So for example, if a generator wakes up one day, it wouldn't just be, oh, I have an idea, I wanna do this and then do it. It would, they probably hit roadblocks. But if a generator went on a walk and saw a sign for something and was like, oh, that sounds cool and followed it up, then it would most likely lead to something interesting. So that response can be from something you see on Instagram, on a sign. It can be something someone said. It can be um, a response to something you read in a book, anything external. So it just needs to be not coming from your mind, but actually just something life throws at you. Because while the, the manifestors have this aura that projects out and initiates out, generators have a magnetic aura that draws things to it. So it's that Generators have that classic um, synchronistic type aura where when they're letting life come to them, magic happens. But when they're trying to push out, that's when they hit the roadblocks. Um, so then there's the manifesting generators who are kind of a hybrid of the two. And there are different flavors of manifesting generators, but they're a weird one because mechanically they operate most like a generator. So they have, they do have the ability to sustain energy over time and they are meant to respond to life. But often that response time is really quick because when they respond, they can initiate immediately without having to have a step-by-step -step kind of slow and steady process the way that the generators do. So um, I, I always tell people at fundamentally manifesting generators are a generator type, but they're able to manifest almost instantly, just not instantly. So they, you know, something is thrown at a manifesting generator that seems interesting. And it's not even, it's probably not even a second before they're moving into action. Whereas with the generators, there's a little bit more of a lag time between, hmm, am I interested in this or am I not to feel into that. Manifesting generators are the quickest of types. So they kind of launch into things once they get that enthusiasm that comes from within. The, another difference is that generators have this um, process where they move slow and steady and hit a plateau. 
And then they hit a plateau, kind of stay there for a while to hone their process, and then they move through the plateau. Manifesting generators aren't really meant to plateau because they move so fast and so efficiently that then when something kind of loses steam, they're meant to put it away, either indefinitely or for a while. So depending on, you know, you have to use, one has to use his or her own discernment to know whether, okay, is, am I meant to give this up or do I just need to pivot and do something else for a while? Um, and that's kind of the energy of the manifesting generator since it has both types. It's like, you know, I'm doing something. Okay. I don't feel like doing this anymore. I'm going to pivot. So it's quite playful. And again, society conditions us out of that because we're meant to stick with something or um, really see things through to the end, which isn't really healthy for the manifesting generator. Um, then we have the projectors, as Anna mentioned, her partner's a projector. Um, I didn't mention as well, the generators are about 37% of the population and manifesting generators are about 33%. Um, and then projectors are about 20. So projectors are interesting because they're kind of rising up as the new world leaders. So instead of um, being the people that were sort of forgotten about and left behind, which I think is how they were sort of thought of in the past, projectors are stepping up because they have this incredible bird's eye lens of seeing the world. So what they do doesn't so much matter. Whereas with the other three types, their action kind of defines who they are in a lot of ways. Whereas with the projector, it's their perspective that is the most interesting. So projectors don't have the energy just like manifestors to sustain over time. Um, and they also aren't able to initiate. But when their perspective is invited in or recognized by someone else, they're able to guide the processes of other people and really bring this like unique kind of visionary, interesting lens to how systems can be improved and refined. So um, as I've heard other people say in the past, projectors aren't meant to do all the doing. They're meant to guide the process of the other three types and really help them hone their process and make systems more efficient. So um, an example of a projector would be Queen Elizabeth in England. So if you think about that, she's there's probably a reason she's still living in her 90s because she never did all the doing. She guided other people. Um, Barack Obama is a projector, another great example, um, was is an amazing guide and intellectual, but he had Congress and Senate doing a lot of stuff, right? He wasn't doing all the doing. Um, I didn't mention the other types, but a generator that just popped into my head is Lin-Manuel Miranda, who wrote Hamilton. If you guys are into musicals, um, I just find him so sparkly because generators tend to be really sparkly. Uh, Meryl Streep is also a generator. Oprah is a generator. So they've got this kind of warm, sparkly energy. Lady Gaga. Lady, oh, Gaga, perfect, exactly. Uh, manifesting generator example would be Angelina Jolie. So if you think about it, like Angelina Jolie is an actress, mother, was a wife, humanitarian, she's doing all the different things. So as I mentioned about MGs, we have to kind of pivot when something isn't, um, the energy isn't there into something else and then maybe pivot back. So having these different pots can be really um, energizing and nourishing. Same with Jessica Alba, who's also one. So she's actress, mother, and then has a makeup company and um, clean products company on the side. So good examples of MGs. Um, and then, the last type is a reflector. So reflectors are only 1% of the population and they're really the, um, obviously reflector is a really evocative term, but I, I call them the illuminators. So they are incredibly empathic and really soak up, engage the energy that's around them more than any other type. So there, if, if the manifestors are getting things going, the generators and manifesting generators are building, creating, doing these types of things. The projectors are guiding the process. The reflectors are reflecting back how it's all going. Because they're so empathic, they're able to see into things in a way the other types aren't. And to really say, this is what I'm noticing in the state of the business, the world, whatever the case is, this relationship or how you're doing. They're really able to reflect back the truth of what's happening and not necessarily um, the way that the person outside of them is perceiving it. So reflectors are also meant to be really fluid. They're not very fixed people. They're meant to be in this interesting flow of life that allows them to 
sample all the thing life's ha- life has to offer, but not cling to any one thing, which again, they can be very easily conditioned out of, but they're really meant to sort of embrace this part of themselves and show us that you don't have to be, have this fixed identity to be someone that you can really define yourself through the lack of definition, through tasting all of these different experiences and letting yourself be fluid. So big, uh, big sort of explanation, but important to understand the nuances of how these types operate. And Jennifer Bullock is a reflector, right? Sandra Bullock. Sandra Bullock. Yes. Oh yes. (laughs) Sandra Bullock. Um, try to think if there's any other one that would be quite common. I know the Russian writer Dostoevsky, if any of you guys are into literature, um, he was one, but there aren't many because it's only 1%. So yeah, I've never met one. I I'm like surrounded by projectors. Um, and <laughs> yeah. manifestors and MGs, but I haven't, have you worked with a reflector? Yes, I had one in my perfectionism workshop. So um, I do these workshops um, sort of bi-monthly or four times a year, something like that on different topics related to creative expression and fears. And then we approach it from a psychology, human design, and like sort of everyday tools kind of lens. And I was so amazed because I had every type, including a reflector and several different decision-making authorities for each type. And I was just like, wow, this is the most diverse group of people I've ever seen. So clearly perfectionism affects everyone. (laughs) That's so cool. That's really cool. I'm I'm looking forward to the day when I get to to, uh, meet a reflector. I'm just really curious about the energy and and yeah, looking forward to that. I think that would be super cool. It's a beautiful energy. They're just such magical humans and have such an interesting lens to bring to the rest of us. Yeah. Yeah. I'm looking forward to it. So you touched a little bit on yourself and who you are. And I think it's hilarious because I mean, I feel like you and I could just continue talking about all of these things, but I want to make sure that (laughs) We talk about your story um, because you have such a unique background, of course, Miss Manifesting Generator. (laughs) (laughs) All the things. All the things. (laughs) (laughs) I just kind of like introduce myself as that these days. I'm like, I'm a manifesting generator. Okay. Like, exactly. It might seem like I'm all over the place, but I'm not. (laughs) Yep. Um, So, you know, opera singer. Um, teacher, like all of these different things, what, I guess maybe like a a good place to start is just kind of like, can you share some of your background with us Mm -hmm. and kind of, you know, tell us how you came upon this path for yourself? Yeah. um, I grew up in an interesting, wild, but volatile family. Um, Parents who loved me fiercely but divorced when I was very young because of their own issues and problems. Um, Very fiery, creative and hard-headed people. Um, But it's really interesting because I, you know, was born in the early to mid eighties. I, um, when my parents divorced when I was two or three, I was one of the first people I knew who had divorced parents because it just wasn't as common back then. Um, And I always saw that as the there was something broken about me. There was something wrong with me, especially the living situation we had because my parents had equally split custody. So I spent three and a half days at one house and three and a half days at another house. And I felt really kind of split in half in that way, but I love my parents and wanted to spend time with them. Um, There were some other issues with the personalities in my family that I found challenging, which now that I know their human designs makes a lot of sense. Um, But the thing that really bothered me about this transient lifestyle actually has been the thing that's been the most helpful in the kind of life I lead, which is uh, in non-COVID times, traveling, transient, um, unstable in the traditional sense of the word, and was really preparing me for this life. It was my first sense of like, oh, wow, the universe really has a method to its madness. Um, Because as I grew up and realized I had musical talent, I wanted to be a pop or rock singer like everybody else. So I was doing open mic nights and my dad has musical talent. He was in a rock band. He's a lawyer, but he was in a rock band uh, in college and in his early years practicing law. But I took a voice lesson because I was like, well, maybe I want to take a few uh, college courses when I go to when I go to college in music. 
And I took a voice lesson. The teacher was sort of bowled over and she's like, you have an operatic voice. Like you need to pursue this. And I'm like, what? Like, I don't know anything about opera. I'm an American kid from the suburbs, you know, didn't grow up with culture or anything like that. Um, and she's like, no, you need to try this. So I thought, okay, we'll see. But as I learned more about it and as I um, embraced it, I realized that not only was the actual job something I was really interested in, but that I was uniquely hardwired for the job. So it kind of combines like languages, fashion, theater, musical study, um, and having a musician's background, obviously having a good voice, a powerful voice, moving well on stage, being able to travel most of the year, um, being independent, um, being resilient and being able to take criticism. There were so many things that I realized, wow, I actually have all of this within me. And it's this one job that always keeps me guessing and never keeps me bored. And I think it's the MG thing. Whereas like, even though it's only one profession, there's so many different aspects of it that I was never really just sitting there twiddling my thumbs. Um, so I just kept going. And the way I describe it is like, every time I thought about quitting or every time I was getting you know, a lot of failures, which everybody in creative work does, it's just a thing. Um, failure is a normal part of the process. It doesn't mean that you are a failure. It's just part of the deal. Um, every time I was gonna quit, just when I needed it to, a door opened. So it's not that I didn't have the adversity or didn't have loads of failures, more failures and successes, but when I needed it to, a door opened and I was able to move through to the next level or the next experience. Um, and it showed me that like, yes, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. There was, this, there was an element of flow even amidst all the hard work that I had to put in. Um, and so I was an opera singer for a decade, still am. I'm going back to work uh, in a couple of weeks, which is so exciting because I've been off for the last 15 months. Um, but in the pandemic, um, let's say holding period, gestation period, I started thinking about um, what other parts of my creative expression wanted to come through me because I've been a writer my whole life. And despite singing for thousands of people on major world stages, I never put my writing out there. Um, I had, oh, I love teaching. I love mentoring, but sort of shied away from it. Cause I thought people in the business would think I was, you know, moving away from the performing and into the teaching. So I didn't want to send the wrong message. And when your whole livelihood that you've been working at for decades is taken away, you start to go, well, I don't really care what other people think anymore. I'm going to do whatever that expression, that muse soul expression is calling me to do. And I have all the time in the world right now. So I'm just going to do it. So I started taking more voice students um, in the past year and I started blogging on Serve Your Muse. So it just became a platform for, I called it writing about um, creativity, beauty, and the grittiness of being human. So it was just about anything that I really wanted to express that week. And I started a newsletter doing that. And it was really great because I was still practicing, even though I wasn't performing, but I was also teaching and then had started the blog. And then I'd also been a practitioner of human design for a couple of years, not a teacher, but using it um, for myself and found it really helpful. So I thought, whoa, this would be a perfect companion to the mentorship and the um, creativity piece because it's really teaching people to live as they are. And that's the essence of creativity is really um, you being your truest expression because to be creative, you have to be original. Creativity and talent are two different things. So to be creative isn't about how much talent you have, it's about being an original human, living from this spontaneous, what we were talking about at the beginning of the call, this sort of um, alive moment to moment part of you that isn't prepackaged and rigid and trying to fit the mold. Um, so in having that epiphany, I thought, oh, I could blend these modalities in a really cool way to maybe start another business. So I got my human design certification. I did a lot of study on my own um, and then basically blended these and my husband's very crafty on the computer and helped build me a website <laughs> during the break. So on 11-11-2020, I launched Serve Your Muse. Um, and I've been so honored to guide people in workshops, private sessions, um, just connect with interesting people I would have never met on Instagram and just also channel this other part of me and to be able to really combine the things that are important to me, which is 
having this sense of wonder and inspiration and synchronicity in life, but really grounding it in everyday tools because we are human beings at the end of the day. You know, we're not living in other realms. And it's, I totally believe that there's much more to the world than meets the eye, but we're here to have a human experience. And I feel like that's one of my gifts is being able to ground everything in a real um, sustainable sort of everyday way. And since then, I've just been continuing all the businesses and they're all thriving and also going on my own terms, you know, like I'm not posting endlessly on Instagram like I was in the beginning when I launched Serve Your Muse because I felt like if I didn't keep up with the Instagram hustle that my business wasn't going to go anywhere. Um, It was all fear-based. The very thing I was trying to to help people move out of and move through, I was buying into. And I thought, "Mm, if I'm going to teach this, I can't also be playing the game. So I've just, when I really feel like posting, sometimes I go a week and post every day and then I'll go three weeks and not post anything. And I just have to trust that that's that compass that we talked about, that soul driven motivation is guiding me. And that's what I'm trying to live by today and help other people live by. It's so important to, to do that, but it's, it's definitely hard as a business owner because (laughs) like you've talked about when you're talking about generators and I mean, just with, you know, your own business and certainly within mine, there's always so much pressure. Everybody has that pressure. Everyone knows, well, you know, you need to hustle, you know, all that, those mentalities that, that are really pressurized into our culture, you know, and kind of flow out to everybody. And everyone thinks that we need to go about life in particular ways. Um, One of the things that like you talk about on your website is creative self-expression. And um, I've really enjoyed how it is that you explain and talk about the different human design types you know, the ways in which we approach just a variety of different things. Um, But I would love for you to kind of share what creative self-expression is for you, you know, like why I think it's so important, um, some of the ways that you like to to do that within your own personal life. Yeah. So um, as I alluded to, creativity and talent can go hand in hand, but they don't necessarily. So I know a lot of talented people who aren't very creative, meaning they kind of do things prescriptively by the book. And I know incredibly creative people who don't have one particular talent, but the way they live their lives is creative. And that's what I'm most interested in helping people do. So I do work with a lot of artists, but I don't exclusively want to work with artists only because... I think it's important for anybody to be able to tap into more of this creative self-expression. So I call it creative living only because it's a riff on a psychological term that was coined by Donald Winnicott, who's a British psychologist. And he used it to actually discuss children and how when children are living creatively, they feel safe to kind of break away from their parents and embrace their individuality by living in their moment to moment impulses. It's like, oh, I'm interested in this. I'm fully in flow with this and engrossed. And I'm going to really express myself through this medium. And then I'm going to go do this thing instead of living what he calls in compliance, which is complying with the way the world tells us to be. Um, When I learned about that in my psychology studies, that resonated with me so deeply because I thought, yes, we need this in artistic creative work, but like everyday humans need this. You know, we need to, to live creatively Um, to really be fulfilled in our lives, no matter what we're doing. And that can be a stay-at-home mom, that can be uh, an artist, that can be an entrepreneur, it can be anything. So it's more of the consciousness with which we do life rather than the actual thing that we're doing. Um, That's what I try to impart to clients. So the way I get there is working through the blocks to that. So the thing is, that is our natural expression, But the reason we don't live it is because of the conditioning in the blocks. So some of the conditioning I talk about through the human design chart, um, other parts of it, I talk about through things like perfectionism, imposter syndrome, the pressure to conform, um, the fear of being seen and heard, all the things that prevent us from actually living this way because of these walls that we've built up through let's be honest, systems of oppression and the patriarchy, which have created a lot of this. Um, It's not all self-created through our psychology or through our traumas, but it's actually, there are systems that make this a lot harder for some people than for others. Um, But it is the 
the things that have happened to us personally and collectively, um, and things in our design that that make us more inclined to have certain wounds or certain blocks. So I've had a few downloads um, based on my interpretation of the chart that uh, certain parts of the chart speak to me in a way that are very specific to creativity. So if I see someone with a certain block, I can pretty much tell you where exactly where that's going to come from, from five seconds looking at their chart. I just have the mind that works in this way that like, I see it as this, um, it comes off the page for me as this expression of them. And when I know a little bit about their story, I can kind of diagnose it as a doctor would, you know, prescriptively looking at the chart, just like a doctor would have at an x-ray, like, oh, okay, I can see where this might be showing up for you. So that's where that expression kind of plays out is like in this creative living and then uh, acknowledging and moving through, not eliminating, but moving through the blocks that are holding us back from it. And the creative living that you're talking about, this is the modality that you've created, correct? Like that's kind of what yes. you were describing is your ability to go in and, and see this, these aspects of the chart in a, in a very unique way. Is that correct? Yep. yep. It's combining the, um, the different practices and modalities that I use in my work. So I use these psychological teachings from Winnicott and other psychologists. Um, I use human design work. I use creative practices. So with my one-on-one -on -one clients, I give them um, writing prompts, creative writing prompts when I send. So I always record all the sessions. And then when I send the recording of the session, I give writing prompts that are prescribed for their design and for the blocks that they're moving through. And I have a very specific way. I like my clients to um, write the prompts so that it actually accesses more of the subconscious mind rather than just being, okay, let me think about what I'm going to write. But there are certain free form styles of writing where you can really get into what's going on below the surface to move through those blocks. And then the everyday tools of, okay, when this real life situation shows up, how do I deal with it? What, what happens for folks who like aren't into writing? So what I try to tell people is like, um, I've noticed for emotionally defined people, many of them are more into writing because writing is a really, really good way. And I, I know we haven't mentioned about definition in the centers, but um, emotionally defined people are people who have these inbuilt emotional waves that are not dependent on what's going on outside of them, but actually are part of the energetic current that runs within them um, cyclically and is completely unique to them. So people who operate like this tend to have, when they're in a low emotional wave, have a natural inclination toward creativity, especially with things like journaling, writing, um, any kind of, it doesn't have to be writing, but any kind of expression that helps move through that low wave. Um, that is definitely the healthiest way to move through it instead of lashing out or turning it in on oneself. Um, but I have noticed that my clients who are emotionally defined tend to have a natural, um, bend toward writing and self-reflection in, in those low times. But what I tell the people who aren't into writing is that this isn't about being a great writer. This is about like word vomit coming out of you and onto the page. So I write a, a question that's very specific and I have them write out the question and then write the answer immediately after writing the question so that it's free flowing right into the answer. And I say, keep writing until the pen stops. So it's not meant to be grammatically correct. It's not meant to be um, seen by anybody else. If they wanna share it with me in our next session, I'm happy to hear about what came up for them, but it's more about getting it out onto the page that has that energetic discharge from the body. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I've had a journal since I was seven and I don't know how people get through life without writing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's like the, you know, the best friend that will just take it all. <laughs> Whether totally. I'm angry or happy or have secrets to share just really doesn't matter. It's all going and it accepts it. So I'm a huge fan of writing, but I know it's not, you know, I know it's not for everybody. However, the power of writing, I think is really huge. You know, that pen, that, that hand and mind connection is, is enormous. Um, so there's one other thing that I wanted, well, actually two, um, before we kind of like jump into our final lightning round here, I guess we'll go with one. So <laughs> <laughs> to respect your time. Um, so Obviously, we didn't get to jump into human design and nerd out on it as much as I would have loved, but um, 
you'll come back and we'll do discussion. And, um, but what I'd love to know from you is like what component of the human design chart, like if people were going to go out and, you know, look up their chart, what is like the most important component of the chart for Mm -hmm. them to know? And I would say this like outside of their type. Yes. So, um, I'm going to explain and also mention that I have, um, a free guide on my website and on my Instagram. So if you click the link in my bio and Instagram, you can go to the free human design essentials guide and download it. So it goes through all the types with everything I mentioned written out like one page for each type. And it goes through the decision-making authorities for every possible decision-making authority and explains why, how, how to use those in life and why that's important. So it's basically just like a free primer course on that. So I would say the, um, the decision-making authority is probably the next most important to the energy type. So basically how you're hardwired to make decisions for yourself, because one of the big premises of human design is that the mind is meant to be uh, a way to be inspired and inspire. It's meant to learn. It's meant to be curious. It's meant to serve other people, but it's not meant to be an authority on our own lives because the mind naturally is um, judgmental and opinionated, which is fine. We need that for discernment in life. But when that's turned in on ourselves, it becomes toxic, as we all know, right? So it actually frees up the mind to do what it was created to do, which is create amazing things in the world and serve other people, not to rip ourselves apart and try to make decisions. Because we all know when we've tried to make decisions from our minds, it circles around our minds forever and ever, and we never feel confident about the decision. Whereas when we make decisions from this internal feeling that we have, and it's different for each person, then we feel like we can make a decision that's aligned. So as I mentioned, some people are emotionally defined. So that would be the um, about 50% of the population, Anna being one of them. So these are people that are meant to make decisions based on um, riding the current of that emotional wave until it comes back to stasis, until it comes back to a place of calm and then making a decision based on the information that came through them on those highs and lows. Because you can imagine if you had that current of emotional wave and you made a decision on a high and then you woke up the next day feeling bad and went, oh my God, why did I say yes to that? Vice versa, what if you said no when you were in a low and then you felt better the next day and you really actually wanted to do that thing, you were just down, right? So that is just one example of how decision-making authority is so important because these people are not meant to make decisions in the moment. Whereas other decision-making authorities like me, for example, I am hardwired to make decisions in the moment. So um, when you look up your chart, it actually tells you um, what type of decision-making authority you are. And then you can go to the guide and read everything you need to know about it. Um, On my website as well, I have a place where you can look up your chart. Um, It's under the resources tab. And then right under that is the essentials guide. Awesome. And we'll put everything underneath um, in the show notes for folks. Um, okay. I'm like so so torn because I just want to start talking about human design now. Um, <laughs> <laughs> this is why I, invent- I invented the discussions, but still it's hard. Um, We're okay. going to nerd out again. We're going to nerd out. So yes, that's, we have that's, it's, a, it's a dot, 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 right? Dot, dot, dot. Um, okay. Yes, definitely have to make it happen. So let's jump into the lightning round. Dun-dun-dun. Okay, four questions. First question, what is the one habit you can't live without? My morning coffee and breath work. I know that's not one habit, but my morning coffee is not your, you know, spiritual heightened habit, but I love my morning coffee. It's the best. And then breath work is the one, the single most nourishing thing I do for myself. Love it. You could just wrap it up and call it morning routine. Yeah, totally. (laughs) (laughs) Sanity. I I, I call my morning routine, like getting fit for public consumption. Yes. I love that. Everybody needs it. I need it. It's it's good for everyone. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Um, Okay, number two, what does spirituality mean for you? Spirituality means surrendering to what you can't control and trusting that whatever's showing up for you is exactly where you're meant to be. Mm, That's a quotable. I like it. 
it feels the most inclusive and truthful to me. And it's what I always come back to when I'm doubting or skeptical. Love it. Love it. Number three, what is your advice to anyone who's looking to find their purpose? Write. Write by hand about all the things that you think, feel, that you have questions about, that you're curious about. Make lists, write things. Don't make it pretty. Don't do it with punctuation. Do it wildly. Do it when you're in the mood. Um, especially if you're emotionally defined, if you know that about yourself. But regardless, do it when you're in the mood and see what emerges. Uh, it's not about being a writer. It's about being able on a physical um, space to be able to see tangibly what's coming out of you instead of letting it cycle around your head. Yeah. Yeah, writing's so powerful. Okay, and then last one. It's huge. <laughs> okay. Where can people connect with you online? <laughs> okay, awesome. That's that's easy enough. So being the MG that I am, I have a couple of different ones. So for my music and voice teaching, if you're interested to know about that part of myself, it's at CMW Soprano on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Um, I speak really fast, so I'll say again, at CMW Soprano. <laughs> and then for Serve Your Muse, it is serveyourmuse.com and at Serve Your Muse on Instagram. Yes, we'll put all the links in the show notes. I should have asked you if you were a soprano or an alto. That's well, pretty. you know now. Now we know. <laughs> now we know. All right, Miss Corinne. Well, thank you so much for being a part of the Soul Driven Podcast and coming on and sharing your story with us. And we have to have you back to geek out about human design <laughs> oh yeah we're gonna do it we're gonna have a full nerd session <laughs> full on two mg one threes it's yeah it's, we're gonna go deep <laughs> <laughs> totally <laughs> all right folks thanks so much for joining us again today if you were inspired by today's show make sure to hit us up on social media send an email um, leave a review on itunes and subscribe be sure to sign up for our email list and get notifications for upcoming shows and free tools. And don't forget, when the world, <laughs> when we invest in ourselves, the world benefits. <laughs> Until next week. Bye.